Welcome to Eat Well, Travel Better, the Business of Food Travel podcast with your host, Eric Wolf. In the next 30 minutes, we will help you to become a better industry professional with inspiration from some of the world's most successful people in our food and beverage tourism industry. With each episode, you will meet these leaders and examine their secrets of success. You will hear about the obstacles and challenges they have faced, along with their solutions and triumphs, and be inspired with ideas for many of the same business issues that you may be facing as well. And now for today's episode. Welcome. I'm Eric Wolf, your host for episode 46 of Eat Well, Travel Better, the Business of Food Travel podcast. And joining us today is Tiffany Kelly, founder of Beyond Bamboo, an online marketplace and business wholesale where conscious consumers can purchase all things beyond sustainable and ethical. Tiffany is also the co-founder and CEO for Phoenix Rising, a global movement and network of inspiring action-oriented feminine leaders focused on making a difference in the world. Her first book, Shine, was published in 2020. She is an inspirational speaker, leading women's empowerment workshops, leadership summits, and innovation think tanks towards social change. She is also a founding partner of Roundtable Global, an international award-winning leadership development organization where she is focusing full-time on her desire to create empowerment and balance in the world. Well, Tiffany, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today, and you are quite the accomplished businesswoman. I mean, my goodness, I have been looking at your your um, pedigree on LinkedIn, and you founded quite a few companies, Beyond Bamboo, Phoenix Rising Global, Roundtable Global, and you're really uh, an amazing entrepreneur and, and woman of change. What was your eureka moment that, that set you on this course of, of doing everything that you're doing today? Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having me um, having me here to to speak to you and for your kind words. Um, what was the eureka moment? I think that for me, there was just so much that I was looking at in terms of wanting to make change happen in organisations and culturally, and um, and I felt like there was something that I could do about it. And and you know, I was I grew up in a household where um, our mother told my, myself and my sisters that we could do anything that we wanted, and so we've always been encouraged to kind of you know push the envelope and and to to, to step up and, and make a difference and um and I was really really keen to get involved with creating organizations that were focused on the things that I feel passionately about and and I I never set out and intended to have um three organizations and a charity but actually each of them is doing something very specific from a from the perspective of making change happen so Roundtable is um is focused on mindset change and education Phoenix Rising is a community of of people who are passionate about that kind of mindset change change and then beyond bamboo is a place where you can go and buy locally sourced sustainable and ethical products so they kind of they all support each other and for me it was just understanding that if I create that support network then they're all going to develop and and really enhance my life and other people's lives as well yeah, no, it's it's a very smart business model. And one of the things that I found very interesting about you is um, it's it was kind of the one thing that you identified about the, the feminine balance. Could you talk a bit about that? Because I think it's so intuitive, but it's not something that we think a lot about. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, so really, that came from the the side of of me, the sort of expertise side of me that is focused on people development. So, before I started Roundtable in two thousand and fifteen, I was working for a big management consultancy, and a lot of the work that I was doing globally was focused on women in leadership and female empowerment. And I was really questioning, you know, why is this still something that we're having to work on? Why, you know, why are we still trying to sort of push women into leadership roles? And then through the organizational change work that I was doing, I started to understand that the reason why women didn't want to step up into leadership roles in organizations is because the culture was really masculine. So I really started to do a deep dive into that. What does a masculine culture look like? 
And there's a, um, pe- people think that when you're talking about feminine and masculine, you're talking about men and women, and it's not a gender related um, thick topic. Actually, feminine and masculine belongs to all of us. And if you think about um, men who are um, very much in their masculine, um, they find it difficult to ask for help, to show vulnerability, to um, to communicate, to collaborate. And so I was looking at organisations and I was thinking that actually that very, uh, that imbalance towards masculinity affects everybody. It affects women in terms of stepping up, it affects men in terms of being able to communicate and so on. So I really um, want to change the narrative away from this gender focus to looking at this masculine feminine balance. And then the deeper I went into it and the more I researched into the impact that it has globally on organizations and governments I realized that a lot of choices and decisions are being made in the masculine so if you look at masculine and feminine energy masculine is about self and it's everything that you need for you and feminine is about others so it's everything that's external and so decisions are being made by organizations and governments which are very much focused on just them and their country or their organization whereas with the feminine you're thinking about everything in a symbiotic way so moving towards more balance in feminine energy is moving from parasitic to symbiotic and if we make that change if we can really get people to be more balanced in their approach to leadership and and decision making then it will have an impact on everything that we do have an impact on what our decisions are around environment our decisions are in terms of war um, everything everything that we're doing and so really kind of understanding that has helped me to go into organizations globally and 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 help to make massive change happen I mean, I, I think if we look back at the past 20 years, there's definitely has been a tremendous amount of progress in terms of uh, sensitivity towards the environment, um, sensitivity towards each other. And I would say that people, men have become a little more aware and sensitive to other situations. And I, I would say that women have, have been a little more willing to step up and, and um, take those roles of leadership. Would you say that you've noticed that too, or, or maybe not so much? There definitely has been a change. And I think that actually the focus on the gender stereotyping has helped in a way, because what what was happening sort of 20 years ago, I suppose, when I started on this journey, was that women were being very stereotyped to be feminine and men were being very stereotyped to be masculine. And I think that because of everything that's been happening in terms of the gender conversations, women are feeling more that they can be assertive and and you know, put themselves first, prioritize themselves and be selfish, which we think is a is a bad word. But actually, it's um, it's good to prioritize yourself because then you have more abundance for everyone else. And I think that actually men also, because of the mental health issues, and I think also during COVID as well, it's been very co- confronting. And there's a lot of encouragement to, for men and for everybody, really, to be much more honest about how they're feeling and vulnerabilities and the need to ask for help. So there's definitely been there's definitely been a change there's been an evolution but I think globally it needs to be much much bigger you know people need to really understand this concept and move away from just trying to put quotas of women in leadership roles and and that kind of thing to 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 understanding that we actually need to create this global culture change okay well tell us a little bit more about bam beyond bamboo the global community and marketplace so I started Beyond Bamboo for myself, really. So I've always been a vegetarian and I've never, um, I've always tried not to buy anything that has any kind of animal products in it as well. And I was getting really frustrated a few years ago about 
um, having anything that you have to buy that's new because obviously you try and upcycle and get buy secondhand as much as possible. And I was buying things from Amazon and they were appearing in massive boxes with loads of packaging um, from China and from different places in the world. And I just was really, really keen to find a place where I could go and buy everything that I needed to buy for the stuff that I do have to buy in one place. And it would come in recycled packaging. And I know that it had been vetted, locally sourced, sustainable, ethical. And even though there's some great organizations out there that are doing part of that, there wasn't anywhere I could go for everything. And so as is my way, I decided to create that. And so um, Beyond Bamboo was born. Excuse me. And the reason why it's called Beyond Bamboo is because at the time, everybody was talking about bamboo being the most, the, the newest kind of sustainable materials. And I really feel strongly that we have to go beyond that. And we have to look at restoring and rejuvenating because to sustain, and people are always talking about sustainability means to do no, no more harm. But actually, I think that what we need to do now is we need to restore and rejuvenate. And that goes back to the feminine and the masculine. Because the feminine symbiotic is all about restoring and rejuvenating and making sure that we are in the our rightful place in the ecosystem as opposed to being at the apex and just taking everything for ourselves and using all the resources. So that's really why Beyond Bamboo was born. And it started as a as a local marketplace for consumers. And then I got mentored by an amazing guy that has a hotel chain. And he said, you should go into hospitality because it's a massive industry that has a big impact on the environment in terms of the disposable throwaway um, society that we've got. And so we're now um, sourcing globally for hotel chains and hospitality restaurant travel airlines and helping them to to make sure what they're bringing into their organizations is much more sustainable and ethical that's fantastic and that was my next question is how what you do relates to the food and beverage tourism industry and it's no secret that in food and beverage it's it we generate some of the the greatest amounts of waste i mean plastic is number one you know to get a carry uh, takeaway bag or um the the food that you get takeaway comes in plastic uh the plastic cutlery plastic ramekins which drive me crazy especially mm -hmm. when you go to a restaurant when they can simply pop it into the dishwasher and it can be sanitized and cleaned but no we have to throw away those sauce ramekins which don't i don't get it you know i just don't yeah. get it because by the time you invest in the ceramic dish and other or you keep buying the plastic over and over and over again you know your costs are going to be much higher but um so tell us more about what you're doing in hospitality because i i think that you know obviously we we serve the tourism and hospitality industry and i think a lot of our listeners would like to know some of the specifics about what you're sourcing how you're sourcing maybe how they can yeah. be involved yeah. So, um, so first of all, surprisingly, we are the only organisation in the world that is only sourcing sustainable and ethical products for the hospitality industry. Wow. So there's a lot of um, organisations out there that supply hospitality, but they, and they might have one of their um, lines of products is sustainable and ethical, but they do all the other stuff as well. So we only do that. And we have a bespoke um, service in that we, we work with our organisations to find out exactly what their needs are. So, for example, we're working with the Global hotel chain and one of their um their mandates if you suppose i suppose you would say is that they don't want any plastic so everything that we source for them can't have any kind of plastic but when we started to work with them we were saying well actually there are plastics that are recyclable and that's actually better because that plastic doesn't go to to landfill so we're trying to help to educate our clients on other solutions as well and like you say you know using things that are reusable or refillable as opposed to just throw away but um but essentially we can source anything so you imagine um there's an airline that we're sourcing for at the moment everything that you get when you get your um tray of food to your to your um seat from the tray itself to the napkins to the knives and forks to the ramekins everything we source 
stuff that is sustainable, recyclable, um, compostable. And it really is to, to what the client needs and what it is that they're looking for and also locally sourced. And if we can't find something that's locally sourced, we do carbon offsetting as well. So we've got a partnership with Earthwatch where we're planting tiny forests and we're using that as a way for our clients to be able to contribute towards so that if we do have to get something delivered that it's from a different place in the world, we're also offsetting that as well. So we look at the whole thing. I like that. Um, so I, this, this, you know, you got to answer this for me. This is, a, this is a burning question I've had. So I've been in airlines where I've asked them if they recycle things like the cans or the plastic cups. And more often than not, I'm, I'm looked at with a blank stare. Like, why would you even care about that? But yeah. uh, one of my favorite airlines, Alaska Airlines in the United States, wow, they've got it down. They, they get it. And yeah. That, the woman, the flight attendant I spoke with, she told me everything about what they recycled, how they recycled it, where it was recycled, you know, five gold stars for you. Most airlines don't go there. And I've been told by airlines that, well, yes, we do. And, you know, they sort it out on the ground. And I'm, you know, they just throw everything together and I'm not sure. But I've also seen the same thing in hotels where it says, yeah. uh, you know, you put everything in the recycling bin. And then I see the housekeepers putting it all into what looks like a garbage bin. Now, I don't follow it to see if it really gets recycled but i'm thinking maybe it doesn't so are are you know is this a bit of a smoke and mirrors thing that hotels and airlines are doing or, or are they really doing it and just not communicating what they're doing well to the consumer yeah well, it, well it's it's interesting actually because um here in the uk a couple of weeks ago there was a new report that came out and it was uh, it's the green claims code and essentially they were looking into um organizations and their green claims that they were making and they found that over 40 percent of claims that are made aren't actually true and so now they're pulling together guidelines and they're assessing organizations to see if they're actually doing what they're doing now we've created an accreditation process in partnership with ethical consumer and the organizations that we work with that we take through the accreditation process they have to provide evidence for every single step of the journey so we're we're ensuring that the organizations that we're working with are doing what they say they're going to do but there are an awful lot of organizations out there that aren't and I, if you think about it you have to be as an organization extremely committed to the green claims and to this kind of sustainability and, and, and ethical process because it's a lot more hard work than just chucking everything in a in a bin liner and sticking it out in the bin yeah. So I think that, you you know, you're probably right, Eric, there are a lot of organisations that are saying they're doing it, but then their staff and teams aren't following through. But I think that it will become something that is mandatory and also a unique selling point for organisations. And you're finding that even since COVID, you know, people are voting with their feet and they're going and they're working with organisations and staying in hotels and so on that are, that are demonstrating um, visibly what they're doing from a sustainability perspective, but also in terms of what they're doing to help and enhance local communities. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. The fact that you're working on the accreditation and 40%. Wow. That's, that's definitely eye opening. Um, I, wow, I, that's good to know. So I hope that our, our uh, listeners will take that to heart. And if they want to get involved, I saw that there was a, an application on your Beyond Bamboo website. 
Yes, yeah. So the, the way that it works at the moment is that we can take any organisation through accreditation. Um, and what we've designed is not just supposed to give you a score and to show you what your gaps are, but also to provide you with support and assistance and toolkit to be able to, to do even better. So the way that we've designed it is that you can go through it and it will show you the gaps and then we can help advise you how to fill those gaps. And then you can continuously retake the accreditation to show where you're, where you're getting to. Because for us, it's not about about naming and shaming people that aren't doing very well it's about saying okay you're on the journey and how can we make you do what you're doing even better, better yeah. so organizations can can contact us and we can help with the accreditation and also the closed loop consultancy side of it so training leadership waste energy all of that kind of stuff and then with our supply chain both for the b2b wholesale and our consumer um, marketplace we give the accreditation to our sellers and suppliers for free because for us it's a, an incentive it's a value add that we can offer to them to be selling through us as opposed to doing it for themselves and then we can show our clients and our consumers that those organizations are doing what they say they're going to do and on our site we've got to look behind the label so um, we're very very open and transparent about where our organizations that we're working with are in their journey towards sustainability i really like that and and most of what you've just described mirrors our culinary capitals accreditation process as well so we stay with the destination for the the full year afterwards yeah. to help them to continue to be better at what they're right. doing and they can excel and we give them feedback on things that they can be doing better and um, if they're not quite ready we give them tips and ideas of things they can so yeah it's um you, you've that's got it really right. great yeah yeah it's really it great right. and i so, think i think that's the thing isn't it it's um it's demonstrating that you're doing it because you really care yeah. and we really care about them and their journey and how we can help them because it's in our best interest to get them as, as sustainable as possible and if you remember i said that when i started beyond bamboo it was for me and so i love the fact that we've got these amazing organizations and we know their story we know what they care about and it becomes like a family it's really great What's your vision for maybe 20 or 40 years from now? Or maybe a better question is, what is your legacy? So, you know, you've got, you're, you're 70 years old, you've got some grandkids running around. What, what does Beyond Bamboo look like and what does the world look like? Mm, well, so first of all, with Beyond Bamboo, I would, you know, the, the big ambition is for it to become a household name and, and to be the ethical alternative to Amazon. So if people have to buy something, they can go there, they can get the resources, um, it, they they might decide to not buy something new because we've got refurbished, upcycled, etc. So for me, I would like to see Beyond Bamboo in every city and I would like people, if they are going to have to buy something, to go there and to know and to trust that everything that they're buying is the, is the best possible version of, of, of what they could get from a sustainability perspective. And then in, time, in terms of the world, I think that we've got to almost go back in history in the sense of, you know, when I was a kid, we had milkmen that came around and delivered milk in bottles and then they took them away and refilled them. And, and you know, packaging was paper bags and sometimes you didn't get packaging. And I think we've almost got to go back to that again. And, we, and we've really, really got to look at, you know, how we're utilising resources and not have anything that's throw away and make sure it's all either compostable, recyclable, refillable. And I think that that is the way that the world's going to go and it will make a massive difference. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And actually, we see this happening already. And we, we tried to look at the silver lining in the dark cloud of the pandemic and see what was positive. And one of the th positive outcomes was that people were cooking again at home. They were asking their parents and grandparents about family recipes, family cookery books, and so on. And they were kind of remembering their cuisines. And 
this was in stark contrast to what had been happening before where someone would just go to the grocery store get a you know lunch put it in the microwave throw away everything and now people were realizing wow everything is precious and yeah. and we have to you know why not learn how to cook right and go go back to our roots and you look at the unhealthful effects of all of the processed foods and we won't go into them here because we're all very familiar with what with them yeah. But again, going back to how our grandparents cooked, where everything was made by hand, um, even things like the the oats were ground by in a mortar and pestle, and and all of that stuff was was you know original and mm. hand produced, and none of this factory stuff, and none of these chemicals, and and many people are going back to that right now. Yeah, yeah, it's great, and also um, growing food. So there's been a huge uptake of people growing food and herbs and things in their back garden so I think that you know a positive definitely a positive that's come out of the pandemic has been that but also since um the pandemic started the um the ethical online um purchasing industry I suppose has doubled and and I think it's because people have got more time so they're thinking more carefully about what they're doing same as with you know cooking at home and everything they're thinking about their purchases they're wanting to purchase things that are local so that they can support the local entrepreneurs because obviously you know economies around the world um, have been really struggling specific industries you know like events for example have been had a really terrible time of it so I think that you know that's another positive thing that's come out of it is that people have had more time and they're and more wherewithal to think carefully about what they're buying and how they're buying it and so you know that's that can only be a good thing for us mm. tiffany do you have a pet peeve in business <laughs> do i have a pet peeve i think that it you know it goes back to what i was saying about this green claims code that's come out and that's people greenwashing because i think unfortunately it 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 provides, it, it creates um, mistrust in people. And then those of us that are working really, really hard to do it right and to be really transparent and honest about it um, are finding it difficult to, to convince um, consumers and clients out there that, that it is something that's worthwhile doing. So I think that for me, yeah, it's, uh, it's those claims that are being made that just don't have any evidence behind it. And actually organisations that don't really care, they're just jumping on the bandwagon to say that you know more, we're more ethical and sustainable because it just it, it's not helpful. Well, everything needs to be evidence-based now. What you were saying about yeah. look behind the label, that's brilliant. I mean, that's what consumers are demanding. And even if you look at Generation Z coming up, they they kind of took the – well, we noticed in the millennials that they were very – very food focused and and also a lot of sustainability and healthy um, health and consciousness issues but if you take two millennials and they have kids that's your generation z and you're yeah. talking about children who are hyper tuned into food hyper tuned into um, ethics and sustainability and health and it's it's just an, an amazing situation that's happening right now i mean i you know yeah. think about consumers in, in 10 or 20 years i, I think it's going to be a different landscape yeah, I agree. And also there's no hiding places anymore. You know, when I was when I was growing up, we didn't really have the internet or the ability to have smartphones and that kind of instant communication. And I think now organizations that aren't doing what they say they're going to be doing or organizations that get found out for doing things that aren't sustainable or ethical, it it, it goes, you know, it gets out into the ecosystem and people know about it. And I think the millennials are really savvy to that and they want to make sure that, you know, their peers and other people know what's really going on. So I think that that is going to help to drive this kind kind of mandatory um, look at what you're doing as an organization from a sustainability perspective. Very much so, yeah. Do you have a quote that you're known for, perhaps? 
Um, well, I think that, well, let me think across the, the different businesses. I think with um, if we're talking specifically about Beyond Bamboo, one of the main things for me is this, this um, quote around going beyond sustainability and to sustain is to do no more harm, but we've got to restore and rejuvenate. And I think that the more that we can drum that into people and help them to understand that, you know, just talking about sustainability isn't enough, then um, we're going to really switch people up to, to doing things that are going to fix the harm that we've done. So for me, it's this whole moving beyond sustainability to restore and rejuvenate. We like to say that sustainability isn't enough, and we use the word responsibility in its place. Yeah, yeah great. It's, it's a full circle. We have to take responsibility either as the company producing a product or as consumers consuming the product. It's a full circle. You know, mm -hmm. We're all in this together. Yeah, yeah, I, to I totally agree. And that's why we created um, the part of Beyond Bamboo Business that's called Closed Loop Consultancy. For, so for us, it's working with organizations to ensure that they're taking responsibility every single step of the way, whether it's their people, their supply chain, their supplier supply chain, you know, looking at absolutely everything. And I think that once you can, once you switch that mindset and they understand that, okay, there's a bit of hard work to do at the beginning, but actually it's going to be really beneficial for us and for, for the planet, then it really makes a difference. Mm. Who inspires you? So from a sustainability perspective, it kind of, it started for me with um, a guy called Ray Anderson who started an organization called Interface Flooring. And he was kind of the king of getting people to look at this, this circular economy and this closed loop way of doing business and they basically were selling um flooring tiles to massive organizations and factories and so on and he read a book i think it was called the Eco ecology of commerce and it was about um getting businesses to reflect this the circles of um, the cycles of nature and so what he stopped doing was selling flooring tiles and instead he started leasing them so going to organizations and they would lease them and then when they were nearing the end of their their sort of time he'd take them back and he'd recycle them and then replace them with with new ones and so taking responsibility for every single step of the way and I think that he not only inspired me but inspired lots of organizations around the world to do the same thing because actually their profitability really increased because their customers were like this is brilliant you know we don't have to think about it and he even went to a stage where he was looking at the sustainability of the glue that they were using and stopped using glue and instead we're using little recyclable pads that go on the bottom of the carpet so so there isn't all of that um, energy and waste that's being created by the glue. So, yeah, so there's organizations like that. Patagonia is amazing. What Marks and Spencers did with their plan B was absolutely amazing. So there's lots of really great stories out there. But unfortunately, it's not enough yet. No, it's not. But that's brilliant. I love that story. The the ecology of commerce, was it called? Yes. Yeah, that's right. I'm definitely going to look that up. That's That's fantastic. And it's people like this who are looking at, an entire business process from start to finish and saying, you know what, we can do better. And then they actually do it, you know, and yeah. they show the world. And I think the most important thing that you said is that it made their customers more profitable. Yeah. And everyone is so concerned about the bottom line and making money and getting ahead and outdoing your competitors and all of this stuff. But, and, and it goes back to what you're saying before about the USP. You know, if, if you are more sustainable, healthier, more responsible, whatever, you know, all of those things in here, if you really can support the evidence of that you are uh, supporting all of these claims, shout it from the rooftops and, yeah. and turn it into a marketing triumph, right? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there is evidence out there that to demonstrate that organizations that are focused on triple bottom line reporting are actually outperforming those that are just focused on profitability. So if you're looking at your people, your planet and your profit, um, then actually your your the customer loyalty is greater, productivity is greater, the employee well-being feeling is greater. So that you know there's no reason not to do it. It's all just a positive. Yeah. And so I guess this is a lot of what the B Corps are doing now, although yes. you don't really hear about them that much anymore. I don't know why that is. Well, I think that it's, it's interesting. I got interviewed yesterday and they were asking me about um, accreditation and organizations globally and what they're doing. The trouble, I think, with um, with things like B Corp is that it's just too expensive. And so it's not accessible for organizations, whereas what we're doing with our accreditation is we're making it as accessible as possible. So we're looking at the size of the organization, their turnover, what it is they're trying to do. And then we, we've got a scale to make sure that they can still um, but get involved with it. So just because you're a startup and you've only got four people working in your team, it shouldn't mean that you can't get the support that you need in this space. And I think that, unfortunately, that's that's one of the problems with these big organisations that are doing accreditation and stuff like that is that it's just not accessible. It's only it's only for the big brands. Mm, that's true. Well, I really applaud what you're doing. So when we can start travelling again, are are you going to travel because of the whole question about the ethics of, of carbon and everything like that? But where would you like to travel to next for food? And when we were talking before, you were telling me uh, some of the memories you had about vegetarian food in South Africa and your parents yes. had a hotel in Goa. So where would you like to travel for food next if, if the, you are going to travel, that is? Yeah. So interestingly, before um, COVID hit the world, I was traveling a lot. You know, I wasn't really in one place longer than three weeks for about 15 years. Years. And, um, and and it always bothered me because obviously it goes against this whole sort of sustainability. But at the time, the training that we were delivering for organizations had to be face to face. And so, you know, the pandemic's been a gift in the sense that we've turned everything virtual. And we've proven that even though it's lovely to do face to face training and programs, actually, we can have a similar result doing it virtually and it also means that it's inclusive so that we can have different clients from different parts in the world all being involved in the same thing so I think to you know to answer your question the first question I won't be traveling as much as I was before COVID definitely not I'll be very very discerning about my travel and I'll make sure that the programs that we do are um are top and tail them so that I'm not flying in and out I'm going in and I'm staying for a period of time and doing and doing the training and, and talks and things like that and then in terms of where to go next food-wise, um, I am returning to South Africa at the beginning of December. And um, and I'm really, really looking forward to um, the vegetarian food there. There's a there's a restaurant called La Calom, which is one of the best restaurants in the world, which is just outside of Cape Town. And it's this amazing experience where every, you have seven courses and it's all paired with beautiful wines. And every single course is like a work of art. You know, they use like ice, smoke and all of that kind of thing. It's just absolutely gorgeous. So I'm looking forward to going back there and celebrating some of the successes that we've had this year. Lovely, lovely. Um, I lived in South Africa for six months, and it was very, it was very not what I expected. Um, mm. And it was almost like a, it was a strange experience. But I mean, strange in a good way. You know, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And wow, what a beautiful place as well. Really stunning mm. landscapes. Yeah. 
yeah it's 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 so amazing i mean it's a bit unfortunate at the moment because the economy is not so great and obviously there's been corruption and and you do get a sense of the the massive poverty gap there because there's yeah. the townships and then there's you know a lot of people that have got wealth but just in general it's beautiful and the people are kind and friendly and you know i was there for 8 months of lockdown before we before we went over to portugal and um, and I'm really glad that I was there for that, you know, walks on the mountain and yeah, really, really beautiful place. Talking about sustainability and the focus on the triple bottom line and the people. So when you fly into Cape Town, you fly over the shanty town and then mm. there's Table Mountain. So you have the stark contrast of utter poverty and utter beauty all in one few minutes as you land. It's It's a bizarre experience. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's really, it's very confronting. But what it, you know, spending time there just makes me even more determined to, to do the, the work that I'm doing and to, you know, try and help wherever I can. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, like what you said before, we're all on this together. We're, we're It's mm -hmm. like we're, we're all, we're forming a chain of people around the world and we're all holding hands and kind of helping each other. And I think that we have been able to exchange so much more information now during lockdowns because we've yeah. been forced to. We've been forced to find friendships and 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 relationships and all kinds of of um, communications now online, right? Yeah. Where we, you know, business relationships and all kinds of different things are now happening online. And imagine if we had to do all of that in person, not just mm -hmm. the cost, but but just the time it would take, and you know, it's physically exhausting. But now, you know, you could have a conversation. You know, I'm in Spain, you're in the UK, but then you're going to be in South Africa and you were in Portugal and then I'm talking to someone in Alaska but then we had a meeting in Chile last week you know yeah you can be all around the world in just a matter of a couple of days this way that's yeah great. absolutely and that's you know that's one of the reasons why um, we started Phoenix Rising was to create a community for those people so Phoenix Rising again it's it's sort of like an ethical alternative to LinkedIn so LinkedIn is very much about personal advancement and career and so on and so phoenix rising is a community which is about personal development and also unity consciousness so bringing together people around the world that really want to make a difference and um really you know have got amazing projects that can inspire and motivate and share and they come to phoenix rising and we support them and give them resources and tools so you know i, th I think you're absolutely right it's there's a there's a groundswell of people like you and i that really believe in this and really want to make a difference yeah that, thank goodness. Yeah, I was wondering when this was going to happen, and I never expected it would take a pandemic to do it. But mm -hmm. you know, and George Floyd and all of that. You know, it's 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 change is hard. You know, it's dragging people kicking and screaming towards a new paradigm. But I think it'll be good in the end. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Well, Tiffany, it's been a real pleasure. I'm so excited for you about everything that you've done and definitely want to learn more about Beyond Bamboo. And uh, maybe there's ways that we can work together with our, our members of our community. I'm sure that they would like to get more involved. So definitely would like to chat with you more about that. Absolutely. We'd love to. We'd love to support what you're doing. And obviously, you know, one of the reasons why we've created all of this is to just to help people and to and to raise awareness. And I think, you know, what you guys are doing is really amazing. And if we can be involved in any way, we definitely will. Lovely. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck on everything <laughs> and um, enjoy your time in Cape Town or in South Africa, rather. Yeah. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks for listening today. The Eat Well, Travel Better podcast is brought to you by the World Food Travel Association, the world's leading authority on food and beverage tourism. Our mission is to preserve and promote culinary cultures through hospitality and tourism. By doing so, 
We empower local communities and entrepreneurs with the knowledge and tools needed to reach new food lovers and gain a competitive edge. Founded in 2003, now we shepherd an annual community of 200,000 professionals in more than 150 countries. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you can learn more about us, subscribe to our newsletter, and join our family at worldfoodtravel.org. Until next time, eat well and travel better.